Hello, Dirt Trackers, to the Rugby Blitz podcast brought to you by Today. Thanks for listening wherever you listen to your podcast. Please subscribe and drop a five-star rating to share this podcast with the rugby world. And also, please go on to the Today website. There are a lot of markets and a lot of bets that you can do on all the rugby competitions happening right now. Um, today, it's myself and Sean that are driving, uh, driving this podcast. Once again, ESCOM has been a big enemy in terms of our podcasting. And in this podcast, we're going to focus particularly on the weekend's action, talk about some of the big talking points from the URC, the Premiership, and a little bit of Top 14 as well. Sean, how are you doing? Oh, mate, I'm, I'm good, my man. It was a, a decent weekend. I managed to get in the water um, and have a relaxing Sunday, which was nice. But uh, p- pretty good. Some good rugby, some good results, and some interesting things happened. Um, but yeah, it was great. Thanks very much. And, and yours, I mean, I want to dive straight into yours, but how was your weekend? <laughs> yeah. So for those that are not aware, um, I was actually, a, I'm literally straight fresh from the Cape Town International Airport. I've just landed in South Africa. I was in England for the week and I was able to go down to, um, to Saracens to watch, uh, to the Stoneyx Stadium to watch the game between um, Saracens and Leicester Tigers. So that was obviously the replay of the final from last year. And yeah, Sean, I had a great experience. I think I, the first thing I want to focus on is just the vibe in the in the stadium and just the. I really like the fact that they deal or they like the small stadium culture in England. So you have then about ten thousand people. Obviously, like people are traveling in, you have some traveling away fans as well. Obviously, Leicester Tigers fans are probably the best or the biggest like rugby fan base in England, or at least one of one of them. So it was already quite a, a, an awesome atmosphere. And what they do is that they have um, some pre-game uh, entertainment. So you have like a local rugby club; they come over. To the Stonex Stadium, and they play some, you know, some, some, I don't know what you call it. I think it's called Bullocky Rugby in some places, but like some under seven, under eight rugby uh, um, yeah. on the field in like five by five meter um, squares. So obviously, that's a lot of fun. Um, and like the parents are there. So it's actually obviously a good way to fill up a stand to just have, you know, if I could guesstimate, probably about 50, 60 kids. And yes. at least one pair each. That's at least a hundred odd, maybe even close to two hundred people. Just just on that. Then it's open like three hours before the, the 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 game starts. So then all the stalls are out. There's great food that was out there. They have like a also a jungle gym area for for the kids to play in afterwards. I was at the Olympic Bar, which is a bar underneath the the stadium itself. It's it's more of a concourse than a bar. Like it's just this concourse, like underneath the stadium. And I was just watching the North London derby. Also, one that was that was great for me. So yeah, there's a lot of people that were all there watching the game. And of course, because Saris is in North London, there's obviously quite a lot of Arsenal and Tottenham fans. And then yeah, you go out, and then I think what was the most awesome thing about in terms of the experience was being able to stand next to the field. So you standing around with. Yeah, uh, most of the other fans as well. It gives me like watching a, a rugby game at the Dottie Craven Stadium vibes. 
Yeah. And yeah, you uh, yeah you're just able to to encircle the stadium. I was basically on the 50 meter line and able, and I was a few meters away from some of the best rugby players in the world. So that was amazing. That's awesome, man. And 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 experience wise, like like traveling in and moving around and the food and the drink and stuff like that. Was it just was it comfortable? Was it nice? Uh, traveling in was interesting or a bit challenging because there was a strike, the railway strike on the Saturday. So yeah. it was a bit more complicated than it should have been. And like, yeah, the, I mean, both London rugby clubs, I mean, I know they're both fighting about who's, who's the real London rugby club. But yeah, both London rugby clubs are, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're both quite far from like the city center. So, you know, if you're not from the area, there's a lot of like, you have to go, the CBD, and then you have to get out uh, to to get there. So it, 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 it's a it's a full day's investment. And I was talking to um, the friends I was staying with. Unfortunately, they couldn't come. But it is, I think, a, a, a experience set up for the kids. And I, 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 it also encourages me about what the Sharks and the Bulls, I think, are trying to do with with the experience that they are trying to create at the stadiums. So there's like pre-match stuff so obviously like i talked about the, the 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 rugby club the local rugby club getting involved having the kids play there um there was supposed to be a camel i can't remember what the camel's name was but he was supposed to do something on the field um <laughs> don't ask me more detail about that i just saw that I, I don't know mitch the camel or whatever his name was was supposed to be um available for the kids to play with um but unfortunately mitch did not pitch up so yeah, there's all these sort of things. They have, you know, some of like the junior Saracens people, um, like they're doing like pre-match stuff as well, and like they're doing interviews and they're talking about the game. It was quite cool. And then yeah, you can see obviously the players warm up and all that sort of stuff. Um, food was good. I I saw this one um stall on a shout out, which is a Bry stall in 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 London. So I think they go around to a lot of the games around London. And yeah, they have like really good burgers and horrible rolls there. So add some food from there. So of course the food is, is, is quite good around the stadium. And then post-match, I think what I loved about the experience post-match was afterwards they, um, you know, they, they played some music. Um, there was, I don't know if it was a, a, an official DJ, but someone with a, at least a, a nice playlist on Apple, on Apple Music. And he was playing some tunes and like people were, were, were with dancing, uh, dancing the hours away, and like the stalls are still open, you can still get a drink, still get a grab a bite to eat. The stadium or the field was open, so that people can go play on the field. It was an epic game. I was watching a little bit of um, this group of like older guys from about maybe fifteen to about fifty-five, <laughs> all playing together on the field. So that was quite nice. And what I like about the community feel of um, of, of of the of Saturday was. The players also, after their post-match stuff, like they would also not really mingle with the crowd, but they were they made themselves available. So I mm. saw Richard Wigglesworth take photos with um with with some of the fans. I saw um, Ivan Pansel take photos, um, Joe Hayes as well. So that was really nice just to see like there's a big interaction and even especially with the Leicester players, it seems like they really know those. The, the group of fans that travel away so it's like a, a probably an away supporters group that goes to probably close to every game so 
I think that is, yeah, I, I think they, there's a great atmosphere there. And I really like, and it reminds me about what's happening with, um, uh, with like I said, with the Sharks. And I think the Bulls are trying to do that whole pre-game and post-game type of environment that is, that meets, that caters for each and every member of the family. So the yeah. kids can play on the jumping castles and you have the ball pin that the Sharks have and all that sort of stuff. The adults can obviously go to the bar. They Hopefully their children are really safe as well and they can enjoy themselves. And yeah, there's there's something for everyone. And even if you're not interested in rugby, there's either the stores or the music afterwards. So it was yeah, a great yeah. experience. I think it now, was listen, well worth it for um, and one last thing on the experience before we dive into the most important stuff um, was uh, Brad Brad Barrett's Ticket Tonga Coffee. Did, was that is that still at Saracens? Yes. Did you have yes, some? Did you I have some? I, unfortunately, not. I'm not a coffee fan, no, but I did man. see it. <laughs> I should have supported Brad. Yeah, we're gonna. Um, I actually had some um, when they opened up their Rondebosch branch. I went mm. uh, on the day that they opened. Um, pretty cool. And um, I was actually um, thinking about it when you told me you were going there. I was like, shit, that would be actually quite cool. But we must totally, next time you and I and a couple of guys on Cape Town, we must actually go visit mm-hmm. and go have a coffee and a meeting there. But now tell me. Tell me, tell me. Now, I will, now the most important thing. Tell me what it's like to watch the GOAT of <laughs> fly half England rugby play live <laughs> Owen Farrell oh my word Owen Farrell was absolutely cooking um, to use terminology that we that we use on rugby fits a lot um, he was I mean as everyone knows the score now um, Saracens won 51 points um, to 14 to 18 sorry and you know the game actually started like Leicester was the one that came out quite strong in the first 20 minutes and Saracens just couldn't really get it together. They were knocking balls on. They were giving away penalties. But then there was a certain point where their attack just clicked. And when they could keep the ball for multiple phases, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't really looked at the stats. But I think every time they went beyond three or four phases, they probably scored or made like a ton of meters. Wow. And I think what was, what was great about Saracens' performance is you can see the attacking shape. I mean, we know that Saracens is traditionally like this um, club that's seen as a more con- they play a more conservative game plan. They just put a ton of pressure on you and, and just force you into mistakes. But there's a development in that attacking game this year for sure. Um, Owen Farrell was great, but I think the two standouts from that game, um, or oh, just before quickly on Owen Farrell, that one pass he threw to Jamie George was, was so beautiful. Really, yeah. yeah, like just the the I think just the ability to float one out. Jamie George also took a great line to go around the outside of the outside center, and and took that ball like a you know like he's a backline player himself, and just the ability of Owen Farrell to orchestrate things like that's why I, I think he's clearly one of the best fly halves in the last ten years, and obviously our goat <laughs> in, yeah. in in England as well. Like he, he just controls the game, and once. You know the 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 the, the Saracens um, forwards could give him a platform, like his ability to control the game with his boot, with his passing, with his running, with his tackling, and he was. And I saw you made you tweeted about this as well. Him and Tompkins were tackling quite a lot because um, Leicester was trying to run things a lot of ten and twelve. But you know, I, I wouldn't advise running to 
um, Farrell and Tompkins, so they but got no un- good. I don't understand. I think there must have been about 15 or 20 minutes left in the game when I had a look at those stats. And Farrell had made, between Farrell and Tompkins, I think they had been asked to make at least 22 tackles. So it was clear that they were that that they were running in the 10-12 channel as as a as a trying to create um, trying to create something there. But honestly, mm. I, and honestly, whether you love or hate Owen Farrell or England or Wales I, or Saracens, I don't care. But there's no ways that you will look at Owen Farrell and Nick Tompkins and go, that is a place where we are going to set a platform to attack. So I don't know. I don't understand what the, I haven't watched the game, but I don't understand what the what the thought process was. Maybe they were trying to tie them up because they're both organised really well on defence too. Maybe they were trying to really get them out of the game for a phase and then strike after that. I don't know, but yeah. I find I, I don't see them the two of them missing many tackles and they they fripping they're hard on defence. So that was very interesting. Just looking at the stats, obviously, you know. I think just on the Leicester side, they really desperately need Dan Kelly or Guy Porter in that back line. There's just a little bit of like just directness needed that, that it just isn't there. And yeah, obviously when you play someone like Jimmy Goppert at 12, and I'm not going to criticize Jimmy Goppert before I get thrown off the You card, can't because I'll, um... I'll, I'll cancel you. <laughs> so no, and he wasn't the problem. The problem was more Freddie Birds, but the pro- but. Now, if you're stuck with them at 10 and 12, now you, you can't really get that directness from them. So I think what mm. they were trying to do is play off them, but nothing really, they couldn't really get any go-forward ball. The 13 for um, Leicester, um, I'm, singer. I'm not sure if he's, if it's um, um, Joe's brother. I, I don't know, but yeah, he, yeah. He seemed like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm checking his stats now. He's 21 years old. So he played like a 21-year-old in some ways. Like, some good things, some good runs. He put out a, a nice long pass um, during the course of the game um, to, to Freddie Stewart. But there's just the, the, the cohesion from, nine, from 19, 12, and 13 was not there. Ben yeah. Young's had a really bad game. Freddie Burns had a really bad game. I, I thought, including Andre Pollard, would try help things. But... Pollard also got injured, of course, playing on that artificial pitch. And that was obviously the, the big black mark from a Springboks point of view. But even up front, the, the Leicester boys weren't really getting much purchase. And they benched Chesham and, and George Martin. I'm still trying to rest them. And the loose trio just didn't really work out in that first half. Um, and, um, Andrew Liebenberg didn't really impose himself. Um, Oli Cracknell had an okay game. Um, Wells and Eli Snayman were, 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 you know. So mm. I think, you know, they, I think what Leicester's trying to do is they're trying to set up their game for later. So it's one of those, you'll take a beating now and hopefully learn the lesson so you know how, like, how the pattern must go. They were integrating Anthony Watson. They were integrating Andre Pollard into this. Um, they don't have all of the same players that they had last year, of course, like obviously the last in sketch, um, for example. They're playing some players that they didn't they didn't give too many minutes to last year. So I think they're a work in progress in terms of being at the top level. And they are behind Saracens and probably Harlequins at the moment. But 
yeah, I, I think they'll, they'll hopefully get there, especially once the selections of combination communicate to each other. One thing I just want to quickly say is amazing game from Elliot Daly. I, yeah, it was just, you know, when Elliot Daly's cooking, he's really good because the, the ability to insert himself into the attack, his option taking is brilliant. He just has so much time on the ball when he has confidence. And he was just causing havoc for 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 Leicester and he totally outplayed. He wasn't really direct competition for his good, but he was the better like back three option out of the players yeah. there. And then the man of the match, Theo McFarland. Oh my word. That I told is you guys I told I told you guys about him. Oak is a he's <laughs> a flipping superstar. He's yeah. he's incredible, man, and he's just growing and growing. I mean, he had a great season last season, and now he's building on it. And the thing is, is the whole mm. of Saracens are building on on the last two years, and they're looking flipping deadly. And it's very quick turnaround for them. But McFarlane's incredible. The other thing, and I, I agree totally what you're saying about Daly. Daly Daly is is class, and like I know that he's been tried a lot at 13 and everything. I think 15 is probably his best position. I think he's maybe a 15 that best covers 13, mm. you know. Um, he's, mm. he's brilliant. But I tell you, the other guy that's also um, who's been kind of sort of cast away by Eddie Jones in the England fold, but has really put his hand up again and he's totally in the running again on performances is Billy Vinopola. He's really cooking. Yeah. What is it like seeing him play? Because he was smashing people's faces off man yeah and i mean if you look at his stats they're not that impressive but he was probably in the middle of most um moves or phases that led to a try it was his big carry it was mako's big carry it was ben earl's big carry that that mm. that led to some of the opportunities that that came up for saracen that the one try that he basically helped create like he drew about three players Pop the ball out to to Daly and then Daly and and, and Max Mallins was uh, were able to do something on the wing, like his ability to draw defenders is second to none. And you know, obviously England has a lot of talent at number eight, but um, yeah, I, I think you need to probably start and and play around Billy and yeah and 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 have him as the basis, especially for the first half or that like first instance in the game where you, when you're trying to impose yourself. Ben Earl, sorry, I just want to. Shout him out as well. What a player. Like, you know, he played against Tommy Refball and he's he played really well himself. And you wouldn't say that um you wouldn't say that Ben Earl is not someone that can play, like he's definitely someone that can play for the for the England rugby team. Like he, he surely has to be one of the five or six best loose forwards in England. Um his ability to run with the ball, his ability in the ruck, he can tackle like anything, he can just clear bodies out in the, in the ruck. Only thing that's the disadvantage is that he's not as tall as maybe Tom Curry, but mm. he surely is taking up that role that um, Sam Underhill used to have. And obviously Underhill has had, has had his injury and like concussion issues in the past few years. So I would definitely have been oh, near, like near the top of the ranking for England sports. Yeah, he. Um, I, I think I definitely saw you tweet about it. I saw a couple of other people um, tweeting about it too. But I mean, that win, um, I mean, Saracens, they, they have a game in hand on most, but Saracens played 3 1, 3 15 points. You really, you really can't ask for something better, a uh, better start to the season. Um, and then, you know, just going through um, a couple of um, other results out of the Prem, 
Newcastle Falcons, they beat Bristol at home on uh, on Friday. That was a that was a bloody good result for for Newcastle. So they they did well there. London Irish really ripped Bath apart. But the thing that I'm I'm finding about Bath is is they're really struggling in the first half and um and then managing to fight back in the second, but still a little bit leaky in the second half. So they um they really uh like under the pump and I'm waiting for them to turn that corner. This weekend is Bath Gloucester from the wreck. So that's mm. that's massive. Like this massive, massive derby. So if the Oaks are gonna come right, I reckon Saturday is the right time to do it. Um the other team that's three from three, Sale Sharks beat Exeter Chiefs 28-20. Massive result for Sale. Um, they really did well. And I know I, I probably now is a better time than ever. And I hear you giggling because I know exactly. <laughs> um, but um, I tweeted something and, and everyone, it's been very interesting. There's been some mixed results, but I tweeted something off the Rugby Bits account saying, you know, if the Springboks are looking for a fly half, then and and I, I did specifically say that Rob Dupree needs to be in the conversation, not he must take the jersey. <laughs> and uh, I noticed all of you guys jumped on me um, uh, about it. But to be fair, it generated a fair amount of decent conversation. There was a lot of South Africans, um, and and I say this um, unknowingly, but South Africans in South Africa the guys that last saw Rob Dupree when he played for the Sharks and he was terrible or they last remember him playing for his Springbok debut where he didn't have such a great game. And they're like, no, that's a bad call. But the truth is, is the guys that have been watching him play, he, ha- he didn't have a bad season last season. He played a lot of season at 13, funny enough. Um, 13 and 12 and a little bit at 10. But he's played most of this season at 10. Obviously with um, AJ McGinty moving to Bristol. You know, he's back at 10, and he's been pretty handy. So I think he needs to be in the conversation. I think if we're looking for a 10 that is experienced and all that sort of stuff, I think Rob Dupree is not the worst shot to look at. So I'm just going to, now that I've made my excuse, <laughs> and, and clarified what I put out there, please, what, what would you like to say? <laughs> look, um, yeah, obviously behind the scenes, is that obviously all four of us have control of the rugby bits um, page on Twitter. So yeah, sometimes, uh, like Jared has pointed out, sometimes, and it, it really happens to be fair. And obviously I think mostly Sean, you're the one that, that tweets for us and thanks so much for that. But sometimes tweets are twote and you're just like, hmm, interesting opinion. I'm not sure if the whole of rugby bits is in unison here. But it's hard. I must. It's hard. Uh, and I, you know of what course, I must yeah. do? I need to. I need to dump it on on WhatsApp. And I think the first two people to reply will will then formulate the opinion. I don't know, but I am <laughs> I am careful in that. I don't. I, I put it out there more as to generate some information. Like I said, I'm like he needs to be in the conversation. I didn't say selected. So I'm kind of covering my ass a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think, long story short, this is, yeah, this has been the point of debate um, today on Twitter as well with, I mean, Andre Pollard probably re-entering his knee. We haven't really heard any update from from, from Nesta yet or Andre Pollard, so we're not sure if, I'm sorry, you know, I'm it was to interrupt you. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you and I wanted to ask, but yes, it seems 
it seemed very soon for him to come back. I didn't expect him to be coming mm. back um, until at least the middle to the end of the month. Yeah, I I was very surprised myself when I saw the team sheet on Thursday. Happy from a standpoint of obviously getting to watch him play. But, you know, his his leg was taped up quite a bit. Um, his knee was taped up quite a bit, I should say. And I didn't really factor this in until late in the game when I saw the ball just plop, plop, like when it was bouncing on the field. I was like, oh yeah, Stonex is the field with the artificial mm -hmm. um, pitch on it. Definitely not the right place to debut someone with a with a, a knee injury at the moment. So I'm not mm. sure what Leicester was playing up there. I'm, I I guess they want to get full value for their big signing and you know trying to get Pollard into the team sooner rather than later. But I think it was very short sighted from um, from the team to to put him into that game. So there's a bit of also like um, discrepancy as to what he went off for because there's some also chat that he went off for an HIA. Um, and I didn't really see it on the field, so I'll have to obviously watch the game, the, the replay on TV. But there was definitely a moment in the game where he did go, and he was trying to, I think, step and then pass. You know, Pollard does the bit of a wind-up with the passes, and he did oh, sort of... That was my head in, knee. <laughs> But I think almost because of that, his knee did get... His foot got caught into the pitch, and he might have done something to his knee then. And mm. I suspect that's probably where... Because he, he played on for a little bit and then he was off relatively soon afterwards. So I think that's where the injury came. So now, yeah, I think we're at a position where depending on what your belief is on the stakes of Alton Yankees and not to retread ground that we've, I think, discussed before and maybe we'll discuss later this week when we do a bit of um, other news. But yeah, the Rob Dupree thing is not the worst idea in the world. I'll put it that way. But I'll also say that I think Rassi, Jacques, etc., when they select the squad, they also have to try and make sure that they do throw a carrot to the um, fly-half options locally because they've almost not been <laughs> selected um, throughout and we've mm -hmm. tried to avoid each and every one of the starting teams in the URC um, because, you know, we you know, obviously have confidence in Pollard and Yankees that they were injured in was Willemson and Francis Stank. So, now picking Rob Dupria, who maybe doesn't have the best reputation in South Africa, but yeah, maybe he's playing well for sale. Is he that much better than Moni Lepok at the moment? Probably not. Yeah, so it's a difficult one. I think it's one of those where maybe at this moment, picking someone local will also just help local players just feel a bit more invested into the Springbok project that, you know, if I perform, I'll get, I'll get through yeah. instead of, you know, someone outside will come in and take the place. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was, that's quite interesting. I think we're all just waiting. We are hoping to hear, um, we'll hear it early in the week, hopefully, about Pollard. Um, and then the final game of the weekend, Harlequins, Northampton Saints, another cracker, mm. and that was on Sunday, and I missed it due to load shedding. I was actually mm. um, super excited to watch it. I got my times completely wrong. I was settling in, and then power went out at four um, when the kickoff was. Oh, um, but yeah, yeah, tell me about it, man. But yeah, there are two guys um, in the game, two South Africans in the game that had, um, that are keen, everyone's got eyes on for, for obvious reasons, but at fullback, Tyron Green for Quinns um, had, a, had a decent game and 
And my man, Joe Marchant on the wing, he was flipping brilliant and all over, but uh, mm. you can't not mention him. But the other South African, Joano Augustus at eight, unfortunately, um, mm. he lost. Uh, Harlequins won 35-29 with Saints making a nice little comeback. But uh, Joano Augustus has been starting, I think he started every game for Saints this season at eight. Um, if not, he started most of them. Um, and uh, he's been pretty handy. He's slowly going through his business at eight. And uh, I, um, I mean, the problem with this European tour coming up is we obviously need to look at players based in South Africa because the, the, the one game is outside of the test window. So we, we can't be picking players based overseas. So it really sucks for a guy like Rob Dupre if he was in the, in the running, Tyron Green, um, Joano Augustus, because they won't be available for the England test match. Um, yeah. and, um, and, you know, do you bring him into the squad just to run the SAA games and see them, see them out? We hope so. But with the state of the South African sides doing so well in the URC, the conversation is so much more different at the moment than it was mm. three, four years ago where we, 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 the guys were most certainly doing a better job overseas, you know? So um, interesting balancing act coming up but yeah so so that's it for the for the prem i think you know um as mentioned saracen sale both unbeaten top of the log with exeter so chiefs um uh, played four got 14 points bears played four got 14 sale got 14 saracens got 15 and then it's quinn's london irish and then right down at the bottom bath are still at the bottom um you know, after four losses from four games. So let's move on to talk about the URC and the weekend's games. So let's run through the results quickly and then we'll discuss each game. So the Bulls beat Connacht at Loftus 28 points to 14. The big Irish clash also lost to Leinster 13 points to 20. Uh, the Lions had a bigger away win at Cardiff 31 points to 18. Then on Saturday, the Stormers beat Edinburgh in their first game at the Cape Town Stadium 34 points to 18. Ospreys beat Glasgow, 32 points to 17. Munster is finally on the board. They beat Zebre, um, 21 points to 5. Benetton um, defeated Scarlets, 34 points to 23. And then the last game of the, of the day was the Sharks squeaking home against the Dragons, 19 points to 20. So let's start with the bulls Connacht game. Um, the Bulls had a bit of trouble um, during the course of the game with... Um, or they... they yeah, it, 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 they got going, but they had some trouble with their, with their um, discipline with the three yellow cards. But it seemed like, especially Kirtley Aransa and Kana Moody, um, slotted in back seamlessly and put in great performances. Yeah, I think, you know, after last week um, with, this, with Connacht and everyone was expecting the Bulls to really dominate. Um, and last, last week, Connacht lost to uh, the Stormers. and. You know, they did have a red card and whatnot. But the the big thing for the Bulls, I, I'm pretty sure that the Bulls and Jack White would have expected a little bit more out of the game. But, I mean, they still got a bonus point win, which um, which is great. Like, to play bad – sorry, I w they didn't play badly. But to to get a bonus point win at home is massive. Like, you can't ask for more. You know, five points, all, all you can ask for after that is is to just hone everything up and tighten up a little bit. So, so yeah. So, yeah, Kirtley answered, um Got some tries and um, burger as well. So happy days, man. Yeah, I think 
the Bulls are just continuing. I mean, they also performed quite well in in that um, Toyota Challenge match between them and the Cheetahs as well. So they they did quite well. So it shows the depth um, of the team, even though they lost the game. Um, there were still some decent performances. Yeah, I think the Bulls are quite sorted in every position but prop. I mean, Ronokia put in an, another great performance. That loose trio of um, Kutsia, Finstarten, and Lowe was absolutely scary. And mm. they have so much depth at backline. They they can call on, a, on so many options. It's really just the props that they need to find solutions for. And I mean, in the Toyota Challenge game, it's sort of jumping competitions, but in the Toyota Challenge game, they had Dylan Smith and Jacques Van Roy are a bit more experienced. So maybe they will slowly pivot to those two to just give them a bit of stability against the best teams. Yeah, I think they were obviously just Jack White was working, dovetailing the competitions like he did last year with the Curry Cup, um, you know, using it to keep guys like sharp and inform and obviously have a look at a few things. But, you know, it still seems to be an issue that they haven't fixed since last year. They've got a little bit better in that department, especially at the props. Um, but um, they, um, it's something that they're going to have to work on. But I agree. I think that's probably their only weakness in inverted commas at the moment. They're really looking good. They've got options all over the park. They've got backline players that are really cover multiple positions, which is, mm. which is great, especially going into a Champions Cup where there are going to be injuries, but also it's going to be a whole new, uh, a new area of, of things to focus on. Jack White's got experience in that department. So um, things are looking good for the Bulls. And then just a quick one, Sean. Out of the non, I mean, pretty much everyone in the Bulls, like first 15, apart from arguably Kirtley Artinser, um, they're not really Springbok regulars, at least in the match day 2023. So, yeah, which one of these players do you think could make a big, um, could stake their claim for the match day 23 in the next year? The likes of Hrobla, Nokia, Kutsia. In the, in the Springboks. Yeah. So, um, it, it's obviously, you know, it's difficult with the World Cup looming because the mm. the way things work in the Springbok camp and international camps are slightly different. But for me, Krobola, I think, is um, is one that is going to get a shot in, in November and will probably, I don't see him um, being found out at international level and I don't see him not, not being ready to be um, to be capable at that at that level. So I think Hrobelar, I think what we're in for is an incredible battle between Hrobelar and Dweba um, moving forward, which I think is great for us um, mm. as a whole. I think um, Ulrich Lowe is definitely going to be one. And there's no doubt in my mind that he's got the goods. And as we've spoken, he covers um, a, a four blindside flank and eighth man. He's a line-out option, um, line-out jumper. So he really fits in that mold. Um, he can cover uh, on a 6-2 or a 5-3 split. He can start. So I think Arik Lowe, probably out of everyone, is going to be the one that is going to be um, more in the spotlight and, and will cover more um, of a Springbok, um, have more of a Springbok presence than anyone else in the side. Um, you know, obviously, Aaron says you mentioned, Moody is definitely going to be in with the mix. Sabun Corsi is looking for a little bit of fight back. And and we obviously got to wait and see about Khusen. But to answer your question, Ulrich Lowe is going to be the guy that's going to be in the match day 23. Having said what I said about the World Cup, I think even now he's going to be pushing 
um, he's really going to be challenging for that moving into the World Cup and, and afterwards. Mm. Yeah, Bulls have a lot of talent in that team and yeah, I think they're in a good position for the URC. Let's move on to discuss Ulster versus Leinster. A win for Leinster, it, it did get a bit dicey at the end with Ulster making a bit of a fight back, but Leinster was largely in control. I think the first place to start with Leinster is the form of Dan Sheehan. Oh my word, he is performing fantastically for them. I think it's the second week in a row he's been man of the match. Um, he's going to score a ton of tries with the rolling malls, but his carrying game is also fantastic. Um, Sean, I think Sheehan, obviously we'll see him probably for the Irish team in November against the Springboks, but Sheehan has also, I mean, it's been a year of, it's been a good year for hookers, I think, all over the rugby world, but Dan Sheehan's also putting his hand up there to say, look, I'm also close to one of the best in the world. He He's brilliant. And I tell you, I was super excited to watch the game because it was um, a battle between the the sort of next in line for the Irish hooking role between um, Herring and Sheehan because um, Herring's been there and thereabouts for some time. But Dan Sheehan, I was, I, I was super, I've been super impressed with him. He, he came onto the scene um, for Ireland when they were under pressure, um, having a few uh, injuries. He did it okay, mm. but he's really picked it up. He's tall. Hey? He doesn't look like he doesn't mm. look like a hooker. I mean, he's six foot, and he's what 110 or 108 yeah. or something. You, you know, not, he's not like. I was going to say he gives a lot of Marco Marx vibes. I think just in build, yes, and like yeah, the way he plays, even. Yeah, and he's. He's really taken the step up into international rugby like as a massive boost um, for his confidence and how he's playing because he really has been turning it on. And I'm always, I look at like young Leinster players. They're always, Leinster get to pick the cream of the crop in Ireland. So if you're in the academy and you're coming through into the first team, there's something about you that, that means you've got the goods. Um, so, but he's taken that step up like he's grabbed it with both hands. He's he's really in great form. He's got a couple of props either side of him that are super experienced and help him along the way. But he really has taken uh, sort of test rugby and top flight club rugby in his stride. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see how they balance between Sheehan and Ronan Kelleher. Ronan Kelleher is obviously great himself and he's, I think, yes. a year older than Sheehan. I think Kelleher, he's probably, if, if, if you want to put a Marx and Bonambi type of comparison, Kelleher is definitely more the Bonambi. Uh, I think he's a little bit better in the set piece. He's strong in the scrum, at least for now. So I think he yeah. would compete well there. And maybe Kelleher is the person you use against like the box and France and those big teams. And then Sheehan mm, comes mm. in off the bench to make an impact. But yeah, I, I, Leinster are on good stead right now, of course. And welcome to the URC for this year, Jonathan Sexton, who also made an appearance yes. this weekend. He did. He He's... came on uh, with, with, what, 15 minutes to go. But I tell you the important thing, um, is, for me was quite important, is um, Leinster, I think, well, not think, they only scored three points in the second half. They really didn't have a good mm. second half. And they struggled. Yeah. And Ulster, Ulster put in a, a great fight back. Um, even though the score was 13-20, Ulster really didn't look like they were massively in the game for a long period, um, and they managed to fight back. I, I will say something, and I know we, I, I spoke about it when he moved, when he announced the move from Munster, but 
Jason Jenkins has very quickly become um, mm. a massive cult hero there. Um, he um, put in a massive shift this weekend. His stats, like if you had to just glance at his stats, it wouldn't look wouldn't look the case. Um, he really has, and and like I, the thing is that I, that I said is the, the reason why Leinster are picking up Jenkins is because he gives them the Scott Fardy vibes. Scott Fardy mm. was massive for them and they haven't been able to replace that style of player um properly and i think jason jenkins is that guy and um in in the opening part of the season he's really put his hand up he's been huge for them and the other signing charlie natai who um everyone mm-hmm. most South africans are familiar with yeah are very familiar with him because of super rugby and and all that he's been um he's been great like he's been smashing people he's been playing in multiple positions he's got a good boots on him all that sort of stuff that we know about him, he's kind of bringing to Leinster. He hasn't really taken his foot off the gas. So um, they're two signings. And the best part of those two signings for Leinster is they're there during test match windows. So um, they're, they're in a really, really good spots at the moment. I think yeah, those two signs might be two key signings if um, Leinster makes a run in Europe as well, as they usually do, because Jenkins gives them the size so that they can counter and like, you know, a big La Rochelle pack or a big Saracens pack or the things they've struggled with before, i.e. Will Skelton. And then um, Johnny <laughs> Nagatai is just in the... I mean, he's the kryptonite. I think he, if he's playing against Leinster, he wins. But um, Charlie Nagatai, I think, just offers a second distributor as well outside of Sexton. Like, he's become... I mean, not too dissimilar to Nanu, but he's become this, like, all-around 12 and just a perfect 12 to play next to or any fly half, but especially a fly half like Sexton. So now your backline just becomes even more of a threat with um, Nagatai around around there as well. So I think yeah. there's things coming along there for Leinster and they are looking good. Ulster, I don't think they should be too disappointed with their performance. They started coming up in the second half. Um, the usual suspects are playing quite well. The likes of Nick Timoney, uh, Jacob Stockdale, Stuart McCloskey is obviously just having a brilliant season so far. And Cooney Mike as well. John, uh, yeah, Cooney's, Cooney as well. Cooney's played well, but uh, I tell you the one thing is um, I also have had a great start to the season and Stockdale's been coming back, but Stockdale went off in the first half with an injury. Um, I'm yet mm, to yes. hear um, how long he's out for. It but sounded, they, Yeah, it sounded like yeah, it's he, a he, he, ankle, which may be out for a while. Yeah, he. I tell you what, Ireland could really use him being fit and putting pressure. I know they're quite handy um, in the outside channels, but having Stockdale back and inform Stockdale back and inform is is massive for Ireland and Ulster. But so hopefully he's not up for too much too much longer. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. And um, the other class wing, Rob Balakun, is is actually in South Africa with the emerging Ireland team. So he's playing in that Toyota Challenge series. So let's move on to the Cardiff Lions game. Again, a big win for, for the Lions, winning away to Cardiff, um, beating them 31 points to 18. And I think uh, I think you also were, you saw that threat from from, um, from Jared about Henku van Weyck. I think that's probably the best place to start. He's really asserted himself as a, as a really good player that can play at this level. Incredible. And, and Jared's put through a phenomenal thread. He's highlighted some really, really important um, plays um, about specifically a 13. But um, Henko, I've had my eye on him a little bit, but he, as an all-round 13, I think he's our best up-and-coming 
13 in terms of all-round flavor. I think um, we're, we're with um, Wandi Similani, I think he's probably our best attacking 13, most dynamic in terms of ball in hand and creating opportunities, where I think Van Veek is, 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 is a good mix of everything, especially at 13. It, it's quite huge. Um, yeah, he had a great game. Massive win for the Lions. Phenomenal. I mean, so Henke van Beek was up against Ray Lilo, and uh, Lilo's like no mug. You know, he's very handy. He's uh, he's a test player. He's got buckets of experience. He knows how to handle uh, things in the midfield. Um, and uh, it was great. Marius Lowe um, uh, also had a phenomenal game. Got man of the match, if I'm not mistaken, but I'll I speak on yes. the correction. But Marius Lowe had a great game. The, you know, the midfield was, was really good. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a great performance, great win. Um, Cardiff were, were looking at turning things around. I think, obviously, Faletau was playing. Both of them in mm. Turnbull and Faletau and the loose trio is, is massive, you know. So, and mm. everyone knows about the Lions, you know. They very, they very seldom have big names uh, anymore. Um, it's more like they've got guys and then they're busy building up and then the guys move along. but you know, they, they, they do their thing. And I think it's the first full season that um, Cash Van Rooyen's had to really prepare for, for things. I think now's the season where he can be judged as a coach. I know it was, he came in under a cloud and people were questioning lots of things and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, he's brought up, obviously been focused on the youngsters and brought them up into the first team. And then, yeah, and the other player that definitely needs a mention is Chituka, who's mm. he's brilliant. We knew about him last year, him and his brother, his boots moved to the Sharks. Uh, Emmanuel Chituka is, is cooking, um, and uh, their loose trio is, is pretty decent with Sangueni, Horn, and Chituka at the moment. Mm. I want to ask you about the Lions' backline. I mean, there's so much young talent there, and uh, some, yeah, it's, it's interesting how Van Rooyen has. Um, like um, place the players at this stage. So you have um, Johnny Lombard at 10. You have um, Nohamba playing nine, at least last weekend. Lohan van Veek in the centers. Um, Kjorn Horn, who was playing a lot of fullback last year, is playing on the wing. Mm. So that's not too much of a, a difference there. You have Edouard van der Merwe, who's obviously a great finisher. And then um, Bubis, Andres Kutsia has come back um, into the team. It's, yeah, I think... I'm wondering, yeah, how how this will develop throughout the course of the season. Um, you know, you still have Monet van der Berg, who's going to probably give Namba some competition. You have the young Jordan Hendricks up um, also, but perhaps actually playing off the bench and sort of rotating with um, Lombard is actually better for him in the long term. It'll be interesting to see how um, how the the backline, yeah, how it formulates throughout the course of the season and you know, whether they can get the right combinations. I mean, so far, so good, right? Yes. Um, there are a couple of things that I think need to be worked on. I think uh, I'm a massive fan of Sanela Nohamba, um, but I'm seeing he's, he's missing his targets on the passes a little bit. And also the, the type of pass could probably be a little bit more sympathetic um, in, in, certain, in certain times. But I, I still rate him. I still think he's, he's a great player. And I think maybe he just needs to settle a little bit. I think um, brilliant uh, with um, Kutsia at 15, especially with, with Henko van Veik at 13. So you've got Marius Lowe inside and you've got uh, Kutsia outside, Henko van Veik, who, who obviously has a, need, has a little bit of guidance there. I mean, he, the way he's playing, he really looked comfortable. So, and then obviously with Horn and 
Panamava on the wings. You know, he's got some experience all round. Agree. Um, the the ten rotation between Lombard and um, and Hendricks is going to be is going to be great to see. I think Jordan will come back, and I, I think that ten jumper is his. Um, you know, when he comes back into into full fitness. But what this is going to do is it's going to give Lombard an opportunity to get some form and put pressure on Jordan, you know? So yeah. I think they're in a, they're in a good space for that back line, but it's a little thin um, uh, outside yeah. of the 23. That's the only concern I have, but we, we know that about the lines, the lines don't have yeah. two full squads to work with. You know, they have a match day 23 and they just need to do the best at which they've got. And the best part is, is the kids, there's a, fairly decent talent pool um, in the area and around the guys they've got coming through the, the ranks that they, they know that they, if they put a performance in, in Alliance Jersey at the URC, it really boosts their opportunities if they're going to move or, or at least they're going to get a look in from a South African point of view. Um, so I think, you know, the Lions maybe have become the new cheaters. Yeah, I think, and uh, I almost want to stop the conversation because, um, Rian Lowe on Twitter said that we need to stop talking about the Lions players because they'll be just bought up by the other clubs. Um, <laughs> so I think that's the, that's obviously the general issue about them competing for um, big trophies is that they just don't have the depth. But, you know, if they can keep this 23 going for the rest of the year, not a lot of them will have big Springbok prospects, um, at least in the next year or so. So they can really basically play the same 20. 526 players if they're lucky with injuries that 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 actually could be a way for them to to at least get themselves into the top eight um, that doesn't seem too impossible if they're already winning um in cardiff so yeah all the best to them and yeah we will definitely um redact this part of the podcast so that any scouts aren't listening and don't hear about all the good lions players shame yeah man so, it must be tough being a lions man. fan yeah, maybe we can uh, we can set it up in such a way that only the dirt trackers are allowed to listen to it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think another massive shot must go out to Sti Sitole and Ruan Dreyer. Mm. Um, yes. But more more Sitole, I think you know is is an is an Ike's old boy. Um, but he's been at the Lions for a, a while, and he's been there and thereabouts. He's been on the bench. He's been starting, and and you know he's he's quite well experienced. Been there for a couple of years. But I thought that he's handled himself pretty well the start of the season. I think what they've got up front um, with Satole Drea and uh, um, and Buerta at Hooker, but then they've also got Pasaki, JP Smith, and Ruan Smith. So they've got a. The one thing is that platform again. It's in the match day twenty three. Uh, I don't see anyone outside of that that's really going to be pushing them. So hopefully they they can manage the players and and survive uh, any major injury scares. But I think up front, their front row is pretty handy. They've got two front rows that are perfectly capable of starting or coming off the bench and being competitive in the URC um, for the most part. And that's a massive, uh, you know, that's a great platform to build on and a great space to be in for cash and the rest of the side. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the one place where they can probably give some depth to the other teams in South Africa, especially the balls um, up front. So they're really sorted there. So let's move on to um, the Stormers versus Edinburgh game. 34 points to 18, um, the Stormers won. And yeah, also a little bit similar to the Bulls game. Quite a few yellow cards. Um, Stormers had a bit of a weak start. 
um, discipline was an issue, but they eventually were able to pull to to pull away and to get the bonus point at the end. Sean, yeah, I think let's maybe start by making some sense into the game and yeah, how the Stormers came back to themselves a bit in the second half. Yeah, so for me, the major swinging points of the game was um, Brock Harris coming on. Um, the yeah. things seemed to settle a little bit more and the Stormers got back into the game, but that was very close to um, to half time. So it's a combination of that and um, the yellow card that the that Edinburgh suffered um, on half time, and obviously the half time chat. But the Stormers were struggling uh, in the first half. They were just not getting any momentum. They looked a little bit disjointed, um, and they didn't quite get back get into the mix. Um, I, a friend of mine messaged me um, and uh, and said that he's um, couldn't believe the size of um, Hartzenberg. And um, mm. I was just saying, he's a big guy. He's an outside center. He, uh, he, uh, but I think, and I, and I said to him, he will come into the game. So the, there's no ways that he's there and Dobbo hasn't planned to bring him into the game. He came into the game, scored two great tries. Um, one was was fortuitous. The other was was well worked. But I think the storm is settled, and that's the thing for me. They really, once they fight through that that gray area, where in the past we've seen them crumble at that point. You know that tipping point. I call it the seesaw. Yeah. You, you could go either way. And the Stormers are getting to the point that when they're on the seesaw, you know they're going to fall on the right side of it, which is, which is, which is awesome. Um, it's something that we've missed. And they really, you know, they, they cracked it on. I think, you know, Hachiva Diamani is having a phenomenal season again. He really yeah. is cooking. Dion Fury in the mix. Evan Ruiz is, is doing the business. Um, he was quiet on Saturday, I felt. However, he did get through a lot of defensive work. Uh, he got he tackled really well, so he wasn't the Evan Ruiz that everyone wants to see and and everyone thinks should be a Springbok because of you know those barnstorming runs and all that. So I was super happy with it. I was impressed with Dan Duplessis at thirteen. Um, I know he's taken a lot of grief in the past, um, but just the way it needed to be worked out, Dan. Uh, to be fair, Dan's probably play the most issues he's had has been at twelve. But with the injuries the Stormers had, they needed to make some decisions. They put him at 13. He was quite handy. Clayton Blomikis, um, unfortunately, not doesn't travel with the Stormers. Um, Blomikis and Dweber and someone else. Yes. I can't remember who else. Um, so that, oh, massive. That's going to be massive. So um, looking forward to see how they, how they balance that out. But great win for the Stormers. And it's a bonus point win. A bonus point win at mm-hmm. home at uh, Cape Town Stadium for the first match back um, is, is big for them. And for me, one of the most important things was um, I thought Manny Lebok had a really good game. He got back into it nicely. But the most important thing for me was Joseph Dweber. Um, Dweber made all his tackles, hit all his lineouts, scrummed well, scored a try. That's what we want from our hookers. And um, we, we, it's no secret that he was struggling to hit his targets for the Springboks. And, you know, that's our bread and butter. Um, and mm. it's any hooker's bread and butter. You know, it, it's a no-brainer. You want you expect the guys to be hitting ninety plus percent in a season when it comes to lineout. So, Dweber in form is massive for us. Uh, massive for the Stormers, but massive for the Springboks. I don't care your opinion on him, but I think him pushing for that number three hooking position 
uh, between him and Krobala, I believe is is where it's got to go. And obviously, Scarrow, when he comes back, he's gonna he's gonna launch a little bit of a, a shout into it. But it's massive, mm. and um, I would rather be in a position where we where guys are not making the squad because the other guy is significant. Uh, it is it's it's a tough one between the 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 two guys going. You know, it's a it's a coin flip almost. It sucks for for the player not going, but I want to be in that position where we we really fighting for positions um, to to get on the plane. So yeah, Joe yeah. Dweber was great, great game, and and super happy for Hartzenberg as well. I wonder if this is yeah. I wonder if Dweber has been yeah earmarked by the Springboks just to have a bit of rest, which wouldn't make too much sense because he hasn't really played that much the last few months, especially at hooker. I mean. If it's not an injury issue, which I guess it must be, if it's not an injury issue, it doesn't really make too much sense for him to not play um, on tour. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting how they um, work around um, Clayton Blomicki's missing. So I assume that probably means Damien Willemse, at least until the Springbok squad is chosen, he moves to fullback and maybe Sasha Gomazulu comes in at 12. Oof, uh, I think... I think currently that probably moved Dan to twelve and maybe Hartzenberg to thirteen, um, mm. or you could always yeah. um, start Sasha at ten, um, move Manny to fifteen, um, and uh, I must be honest, I, I, I didn't see the um, the squad that travelled, so I don't know who what other backline options they have, but I think they will be okay. Um, Hartenberg to thirteen might be a, a tough shot. It's all depends on who he's, who's his, who his twelve is and who his fifteen mm-hmm. is. So in that case, I probably have Willemse at fifteen. Um, if we're going to move, um, if we're going to keep Willemse at twelve, then you can move Sasha to ten. You probably that's probably maybe the easier shot is maybe moving Lebok to fifteen and Sasha to ten, and then the rest of the backline almost stays. Oh no, sorry, I'm making a mistake here. Willemse is going to have. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, you can move um, Lubok to fifteen and Sasha to ten, and then your backline can almost stay the same. However, yeah. m- moving Lubok away from ten when he's an out and out ten and performing and playing his best rugby at ten, do you really want to be be doing that? I don't know. So, mm. um, and and the Storm has got the new signing. Yeah. His name escapes me at the moment, but he comfortable on the wing. I was going to mention him. Leo. Comfortable um, at at center and on the wing, so he might mm. he'll probably find that he'll play at thirteen because he's not uh, he's played plenty top flight rugby and he is a, a center wing. So you just move Dan to twelve, Damien Billimsa to fifteen, and Leoa at thirteen is probably the least disruptive of the lot and the more balanced. I would I would assume. Yeah. I think you're probably right there. I think that's probably the easiest way to to get around all of that. But yeah, I think you summed it up quite well um, earlier that really good performances, especially from a few key players. Um, Joe Dweber played really well. Um, um, Hachiva Daimani is playing good. Um, I saw, um, oh, I mean, Lebok, we, we, we talked about him and um, Hartenberg's also impressing. Dan Duplessis, finally, hopefully... <laughs> fulfilling that potential we all talked about earlier in his career. I saw some um, conversation. I don't know if you saw the yellow card to Evan Rus. I saw some conversation about it. I don't know if you have an opinion on it. 
Just remind me how he got it again. I, I must be honest. I actually went hunting for yellow cards and a few things this weekend, so I'm a little bit blurry. I just need a reminder. Mm, I think he, I think he, it was a album oh, no. or something like that. Oh, mate, I can't believe I forgot about that. I was chatting at length on a couple of our groups. Uh, there's nothing controversial about it. The only controversy, controversy around that yellow card is that I thought it could have been a red. Um, he, uh, there's been a little off the ball scuffle, his elbows at the guy's throat, and then they get pulled to ground. He's the one on the top and he jams his forearm, sorry, not elbow, the forearm is, mm. remains constantly at the guy's throat and then he jams it on the way down. Um, so that's foul play. Um, elbows and forearms are specifically mentioned in that it's reckless and uh, it, uh, it's not great. So I, I mean, I went as far to say that I think he might get cited because it is a red card thing, but it could also be a yellow card. I'm not sure there's enough mitigation in there, but it's a hundred percent the the right call penalty and a card. It just needed to figure out what sort of card it was. But if you got a red card, nobody could argue with it. There's like the guys were arguing that he um, his arm was there and he fell down. He didn't strike the guy or anything. You know what you're doing. The um, um, opposition player his name escapes me but i mean he went off he was he was subbed uh he got he was knocked out so you know people tell me it's not dangerous and i'm gonna just say well you know the guy's off the field you know he nearly got his throat squished so yeah not a great not a great one i thought um roos did seem a little bit um frustrated in the game and i don't know if that was just because of how edinburgh were maybe niggly or or trying to get under his skin or the or the 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 stormy skin as a whole i don't know but yeah not not great um not a great showing uh, also not a great decision was made so um yeah hopefully mm. he doesn't do it again yeah um let's move on to the osprey's glasgow game i think the one quick thing i just want to raise is um the numbers of jack morgan good grief 44 meters right. two defenders beaten 10 carries 18 tackles he was just busy. And I, I, I mean, look, fair enough to um, Wales. Um, they obviously almost won a test series in South Africa, but him not getting picked by um, Wayne Pivak to that, um, for the, for the tour to South Africa is still a crazy decision. But yeah, I think Ospreys, they look like they, they're the one Welsh team that's coming together. Um, Alvin Jones and Adam Beard are playing and combining well at, the lo- at lock. Dan Lydiot is rolling back the years. You've got Gareth Amscombe playing well at 10, George North is, is now available for the whole season. So I think they'll they'll hopefully be near the top eight conversation as well and, yeah, not really falling off. But, yeah, good win for them against Glasgow. Yes, a super win. Um, and, and the names you mentioned, like they, they've got plenty stars all over the show um, and uh, the guys are performing and, and doing the business. Um. I'm waiting for George North to move back to 13. I think that's going to be his mm. probably his first choice place to be. So it all depends on what happens. I think it's probably all around Mike Collins. Collins is playing 12 at the moment, but he can play fullback or even on the wing. Um, so I think he's settled in there nicely. But yeah, Ford, uh, sorry, Ford, George North starts. So you, know, you get the option of picking him at 13 or, or at 14. So it doesn't really matter. And I mean, on the bench, to think about it, like they got Dowie Lake, they've got um, Reese Davies, you know, they've mm. got Luke Morgan. Like, 
they're pretty handy um, in in just looking at their match day twenty three. But as with everything, you know, you want to you want to back bonus point wins and specifically at home. Um, and and they did it. They kept they they got it late, but they got it, and that's huge. You know w- what it does in terms of um, of the shields um, for them. Just to quickly shoot down that comfortably a- a- ahead. I mean, the irony is the dragons are are in second place. So Ospreys with three games and nine points, dragons with three games and five points, and then Cardiff and Scarlets underneath that. So Ospreys are looking <clears> good to take the Welsh Shield. Yeah, so far so good for them. Let's move on then to the next game, which is Munster versus Zebra. So they won 21 points to five. Munster finally getting a win. I think this was more match about the experienced players coming in and and basically doing their jobs. So I think Peter Omani was the man of the match. So that probably shows that he was leading from the front. But yeah, I think uh, Graham Rountree's slowly getting back the services of his like regular Irish players. Um, you know, Connor Murray, Joey Carberry, Todd Byrne, they're all back. It's now hopefully just getting those things together so that they can be a more consistent team. Yeah. I um something a little bit off topic, but there was um a Twitter thread, uh the the is an Argentinian um rugby analysis analyst, sorry, or Italian, I can't remember, but um he was sharing some stuff on when sorry, I lied, it wasn't him. With someone else. Anyway, they were sharing stuff on where in what quarter do the Irish sides score their points. And Munster yes. are are scoring more of their points in the first two quarters of the games. And I found it quite ironic because Bath seemed to be scoring most of their points in the second two quarters of the game. And with Johan van Kran having been at both, and both very recently was was something quite interesting I, I saw. I mean, they're obviously not related, but you can see the link there. What I will mm. say, though, is Munster, I know the score was 21-5, but Zebra put in a massive shift in the second half. Mm. They only scored five points, um, and they scored that very early in the, in the second half. But Munster were under pressure. Munster didn't score in the second half. The only points in the, the second half were scored by Zebra in the 44th minute. But Zebra were putting Munster under pressure. Munster scored, they didn't score after the 25th minute in the game. So they took a 21-0 lead, okay, in just over the first quarter of the game. And thereafter, yeah. they were just what looks, I mean, I didn't watch the game, but they just basically defended. And I know the second half, they were under heaps of pressure and they managed to hold out. So it's worrying for Munster. It's a win and they needed it. And I promise you, they would have taken a 3-0 win and the worst game of rugby in their life just to get a win because they <laughs> had, it was their first win of the season. They needed to, they needed to, to, to cross that line, you know, and um, they did it, but they did it under massive pressure. So I'm very interested to see how the rest of their, well, the next two weeks unfold, you know. Mm. And then let's move to Benetton versus Scarlets. Benetton, the second win, um, they also now right in the thick of the uh, of the top eight at the moment. They beat Scarlets thirty four points to twenty three. Um, yeah, I think um, in terms of their match, they I think the the the, the big performers um, is the Hoka Lucchesi, that Thomas Arbonos, um, Arbonos, sorry, um, as man of the match. Wow, I think Benetton. Brilliant. 
the fly off here. I think Benetton's just looking. I mean, they didn't probably, yeah, at least didn't meet my expectations last season. I thought they would have a a good run last year, but it seems like this is the year they're going to put things all together now. Yes, um, very a great game. Rana Smith was great. He's yes. he's really, I mean, he's carried on from last season, um, and uh, he's really been performing. Whether you play him at ten or fifteen, it doesn't really matter. But uh, yeah, Thomas Albanoz was was brilliant. Um, their fly half, he was great. Um, but you know, Benetton, I, I tell you, you know, the only thing, <laughs> the only thing that is disappointing about this game is that Benetton didn't get a bonus point win because they were that good. They really were were in the mix, and I was um, mm-hmm. super impressed with them. But they they scored, if I'm not mistaken, they yeah they scored a try. Um, uh, at in the in the seventy seventh minutes, so they they really did kind of pull away. Scarlets were in the mix; they were pushing really really hard. But I mean, that's not a terrible Scarlet side. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got like you know Sam Leosi, Vaifafita. Both of them had a decent game. Josh McCard, Tiona Calamafoni. Those guys are all in the pack. And you looking at the backs: Kieran Hardy, Johnny Williams, Fox Davies. Lee Halfpenny, you know, those guys, mm. Ken Owens came back for his return um, after injury. Blake Thompson, Reese Patchell, Johnny McNichol. They brought Johnny McNichol on um, towards the, the last 20 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, um, just to change at 15 because obviously Lee Halfpenny is very, very handy. But Johnny McNichol's a, a run first, kick later kind of a 15. So they yeah. wanted to open things up and they were chasing the game. But you know, you look at that result and you're just like, yes, he Scarlet's that's not what you expected. Um, you expect it to be a lot closer. If you were going to take a loss, you were expecting to to be be a lot tighter than that. But a great result for Benetton. Like super, super impressed. They've been um in the mix. They're leading the the Scottish Italian URC shield now. Mm-hmm. Um by comfortably by two points. They played three, got nine points, Edinburgh played three, got seven. So they're in the mix. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. qualifying for Champions Cup stuff. That that's huge. Yes, good. So far, so good for them. The last thing, is, the last match is Dragons versus the Sharks. Yeah, um, <laughs> not a match that takes off pressure off Sean Everett, but at least they won the game. Um, Dragons was leading actually nineteen points to six um, early in the second half um, after uh, a try after the try was scored. And yeah, the Sharks were able to hit back and to score the two tries required for them to win. Uh, Man of the match performance um, by um, Dylan Richardson, um, who's actually really impacted um, and and really come back well into the squad. Um, He didn't really play that much last year, but uh, last season, but now he's come in and become a valuable member of of the squad. Yeah, Sean, I think we've had this conversation in many forms in the past. Uh, 12 months or so but yeah let's have it again what is wrong with the Sharks sheesh man they, I expected more from them I thought uh, James Fenton and Dylan Richardson were really good um, they really were, were fighting hard Dragons got a foothold they've come off a win against Munster at home they're um, you know Dragons RFC and a new branding they um, having those issues the, with um, in the back room with the director of rugby, who's clear, yeah, clearly not there anymore. 
And so now they're, they're changing things up. So for me, I think the issue for me is I would prefer Rohan Janssen van Rensburg not to be playing 13. I would yeah. prefer him to be playing 12. Ironically, the midfield with Ben Tapuai and Rohan Janssen van Rensburg, I'd swap them around. I'd, ra- I'd rather have Rohan at 12 and Ben at 13. Um, but you've also got Van Kock who can play at 13, and he's very comfortable there. And I just, I, I'm not quite sure what's going on. You know, it, it's really, it's really hard. Like the thing is, is the Sharks needed, uh, they got rid of Marius Lowe. Well, they got rid of, Marius Lowe left. And Marius Lowe is, um, he, he, he's an unders kind of a 12. He's that mm. head down, um, set a platform kind of a 12, which is what Ron Rians van Rensburg is very much capable of. Ron's definitely going to draw two defenders in the very least. The thing is, is Rowan's got a step and he's got an offload and he's got some distribution skills. There's no reason why you can't play him at 12 because you, there are options there. There are options. Do you want him to run an overs line and you want him to uh, get into the space to put Ben Tapawai away and then you've got other guys? Like there, there are options there. With Takir Abrams, Vanna Kock and Apalela Fassi, you've got finishes. So I would prefer to mm. see... Van Rens- Jans van Rensburg at 12. Um, and then you must decide what you want to do outside of that, I think. But Sia Tompkinson, another, his second good game in a row. And I, I messaged you guys mm-hmm. and I said, Tompkinson's going to give Jans van Rensburg a lesson in, um, in, in playing 13 and playing in the midfield because he, he hits like a sledgehammer. Um, mm-hmm. Rowan wasn't kept quiet, but we didn't have the impact in our, our midfield that we were expecting to have. Um, and that could come from a number of things. I thought Grant Williams was, was quite handy. The one try yes. was an intercept of him, a great read. And once he gets his hands on the ball, there are few to no people that will catch him. He is lightning. Um, and the Sharks, if you want to look at it from a Sharks point of view, they unfortunately ran into a dragon side that are clearly on the up. Um, they've shaken a few issues and they're sorting it out. You know, they're, their wingers, Rio Dyer and Ashton Hewitt, are cooking at the moment. Sio Tompkinson's yes. made a difference in the midfield, um, whether he's playing 12 or 13. He's mostly playing 13. I actually don't think he's played 12 for the Dragons yet, but he's capable of wearing the 12 jumper. Uh, Rodri Williams was, was very handy. Angus O'Brien also. Um, so I tell you, you had a good game. So Will Rylands, uh, who's their captain, um, Walsh yeah. player, most people are familiar with him. He's, this whole season, he's been good. But George Knott yes. has been a great, mm-hmm. a great addition, and he's cooking. Um, so yeah, so it just the Sharks didn't play well and were away from home and managed to burgle a point. And both sides were actually pushing at the end of the game. Both sides were were pushing for um, another another try. Uh, so it was quite quite interesting. Obviously, the Dragons were pushing to win, and the Sharks were looking to stretch it away, but. It, finished off but yeah it's that's uh that's the way it is uh, i think you can be harsh and look at it and say they should have done better or you can say listen you got it got out of jail you you beat the dragons by one point it's clearly a tough place to go and travel and um the sharks have got leinster this weekend which is massive and um mm. i'm hoping we'll be naming a lot of uh, a lot of Springboks in their side I wonder, yeah, I was actually going to ask about that next is, well, 
because we saw Yeban Etzebeth and Siakolisi are in Durban and they're training with the Sharks. I don't think they'll be available, though. I mean, they'll be... No, I, I doubt mean, it. There were photos taken on the Monday, so they'd have to fly now if they want to have a legit chance of, of being in the match squad. Yeah, I, I, we, we most certainly would have heard if there were new guys traveling out, but um, maybe, you know... I'm not, uh, again, uh, sorry to the listeners and the dirt trackers and everyone, but I haven't been able to, I didn't look at their traveling squad to to dive deeper into it. But I don't think, um, so Khaleesi and Etzebeth won't be there. I would love, yeah. I would love the, the Sharks to roll out the big boys for Leinster. Just to beat I Leinster think, yeah. at home would really, would really just ruffle their hair. It would basically just push their face into the mud again, especially after last season's results <laughs> and their shaky start. You know, I know they're three from three, but still. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess because this is their last tour match, um, at least to the Saturday. Then next week they play Glasgow at home. So I assume the Springbok players will play in those games. So I think Kulisi, Etzebeth, et al. will probably only feature in that Glasgow game and then possibly the next week against Ulster. And then Oof, that'll I, be the end of the URC. Yeah I, well, yeah, I think I don't even know if they will feature against Ulster. So. But uh, it's interesting to see what happens. Mm. I was going to say, I think how it works is that the contracted box players, like or the the, the 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 franchises, have to like rest them for a certain number of weeks that the box players are available. So perhaps yes. what the Sharks are going to do is don't play them now and then play them in the home games up until the end, and then, yeah. So I, I could, yeah, maybe Rasi could have a phone call to Sean and just be like, you can't play my two best players the week before the tour, but yeah, I could definitely see them playing um, against Glasgow and against Ulster. I guess that's the sort Sean. of the trade-off of them not being part of the, 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 the traveling squad now. Yeah, Sean Everett's going to tell to Rassi, with the greatest of respect, I'm sorry for you. He's um, <laughs> under the pump, man. I'm fighting he really for is. my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he is under pressure. So um, it's going to be interesting. But I, I, off, off topic, um, I just want to say that there are only four unbeaten sides in this whole competition, and mm-hmm. um, three of them are South African. Um, Leinster yeah. are three for three, but the Bulls are three for three. Stormers are... Um, are two for two and the sharks are two for two. So yeah. that's a, a great start. Um, and uh, yeah, Benetton in sixth spot. Always good to see, man. Yeah. So far, so good for the South African teams. I mean, all four teams are in the top eight at the moment. So that's obviously a very good sign. And it's not even like half of the teams have played the majority of their games overseas. So that's a really, really good sign. Like, yeah, I tweeted in jest, but also a little bit half seriously that we kind of are becoming the, the all black or the New Zealand teams, of the super rugby and that we're able to beat teams from around home and away that we can almost ex- start to expect wins um, wherever we play. But yeah, hopefully Alston Leinster will have something to say about that. But yeah, I think from a South African point of view, it's, 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 it's bordering on almost too good. Like, you know, the it's Lions so, winning and beating the, the, the yeah. wash sides away from home is a good sign for them, but not a, maybe a great sign for the competitiveness of the URC. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I agree. It's going to be awesome. And, and 
I keep mentioning it, but there's a new dynamic in the mix with uh, with Champions Cup looming. But I mean, if you ever mm. look at this week's fixtures, all of the South African sides are away. So this is this is that that time that we're going to see what yeah. what's going down because Edinburgh hosts the Lions. Connacht Munster is going to be fun because Connacht haven't had a great start to the season and Munster are there for the beating. But mm-hmm. Zebra Stormers, I'm looking forward to that. And Leinster Sharks is massive. Scarlet's Cardiff is big. Ulster Osprey is interesting. But then Glasgow Warriors Bulls. So uh, finishing off with Bennett and Dragons. Sunday is going to be a good one. That Bennett and Dragons game is actually going to be quite handy um, for uh, for the rugby lover because the both sides are on the up there. But yeah, shish man, it's flipping. It's exciting. It's exciting, and we. I think all the South African sides are going to be in a good spot come January. You know. Uh, where they get to knuckle down and and focus on playoffs. Mm. Yeah, I think they're bagging the wins now. They probably won't have the. I can imagine that some of the the regular Springboks won't be available for the URC games in that December January period. They maybe will only be released in effect for the Champions Cup game. So, uh, if you're the Sharks and the Stormers, and you have obviously a lot of Springboks, you want to bag as many wins now, especially when you have the um, the 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 best spring box um playing, I th- yeah. So I think have you seen that uh, on that point? Have you seen that um article from John Cardinelli that breaks down the URC season into or the this um club season into um four parts? So he basically says that this first part, like you have you don't have your spring box, you're trying to win as many games as possible, and obviously we're doing that so far, so we've done that well. Then part two is um just when the Champions Cup starts after the November Test Series and um, with the URC games running concurrently and yeah, managing the two, managing the squads, maybe playing two different teams in those competitions and yeah, how much can you get away with playing like your lesser players in the URC. Then part three is during the Six Nations when um, we play a lot of our home derbies and yeah, how many games, yeah, how much attrition can you will you pick up from those games and obviously playing the South African teams for three or four weeks in a row and then the last part is that like final stretch where we played well last year and we got a lot of our wins but then that's the time to but this season the the challenge will be if we're in the knockouts of the challenge cup or the champions cup balancing that with our urc requirements and trying to get into the top eight or trying to get a home quarterfinal semi-final um position as well so we're doing well in phase one and we're doing yeah. well with the majority of our best Springboks not playing in the team. So, so far so good for the Springbok teams, for the South African teams. I yeah, that's a, that's a great way. I actually, uh, I did see a few tweets from, um, from him, but I didn't read that. That is, that is awesome. I'm actually going to go find it and have a, have a read. I think it's a great way. I think the most important thing is to, is to take, things and and you know it's a whole same old story how do you eat an elephant you know one bite at a time so i think we South african sides have have an elephant ahead of them this year with with the urc obviously having performed reasonably well last year and um as a whole um there's a couple of uh, there's some unfinished business for some sides away from home and at home obviously the champions cup europe has come in the mix and it's a world cup year so um we're we're We've got a lot of stuff that we need to focus on. We need to be very aware that the squads are important because we will have players rested, but also need to focus on Europe and URC. 
so our depth will get tested. So all in all, we've got a, a lot of things to look forward to, and there's going to be a hell of a lot of juggling going on, especially if you're under pressure. Like, hypothetically, um, Sean Everett's going to be under pressure if he loses a couple of games. What's he going to do then? You know, mm-hmm. Ideally, we'd like to be resting players. Is he going to dump the Champions Cup and say, right, that's not for me this year. I need to focus on the URC because I need to juggle more players. Those are the decisions that need to be made. Every coach has to make them um, and when, they, when they're doing the, the dual comps. So we're, we're in for big things. We're in for massive learnings. The South African public and fans are, are going to have to learn a lot about what is required to be good at both and when do you cut your losses and focus on one. But doing that and then not, not performing in the one you're trying to focus on opens up a whole other problems <laughs> so yeah it's going to be a great season i'm looking forward to it and it's going to be a great way to get ready for what's going to be a challenging international and world cup season next year and also just remember reminding myself the cheetahs are also going to be part of the challenge cup um this season as well so they will yep. also they're doing a few preparation matches you can call them that in the challenge and that's toyota challenge so hopefully they will be um ready to play I saw, I think, the first match for the Lions in the Challenge Cup is against Worcester. So, yeah, unless they're going to be playing against... um, (laughs) By week. We're going to be playing against assets that are being sold off. I don't know. But, yeah, I think that will probably be a a walkover for the Lions. But, yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see how these teams um, negotiate this. But they are setting themselves up. So, yeah, this weekend will be probably the toughest weekend so far for the South African teams. Four away matches. Um, big matches as well in Cod in um, Glasgow and in, in, in Dublin as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they go about it. Um, Sean, I think we can probably start wrapping up here. Do you have any um, shout outs for, for the week? I, I think probably this is probably from both of us, but I think a big shout out to the Women's World Cup that's happening or that's starting this weekend. And yeah, we're very excited to see some quality rugby um, being played in New Zealand. The captains had their um, photograph. Um, I think on Monday that this whole shoot with the with the trophy and yeah I think there's quite a few um, women's rugby contributors that you can probably follow for this time. Um, just off the top of my head, the likes of like Jess Hayden and Stella Mills, they obviously great from the English side. So I think the the um, Brittany Mitchell's good from the Australian New Zealand side. So there'll be scrum the queens, sort of con- scrum queens as well. There'll be the people also- to follow. Rugby women underscore. It's part of the Rugby United crew, but uh, there mm. uh, between them and Scrum Queens, you will get most of the information. Um, but yeah, I, I I echo that. I'm super excited and I'm super stoked for the for the women's side, the women box. We are uh, the highest we've ever been ranked um, in the world. We have won more games in this season that we've won in previous seasons, and we're taking all that confidence. We're taking a great side. We're taking um, a whole bunch of new, you know, things like great performance and peers and uh, and confidence into a World Cup. You know, I couldn't think of a better way to prepare for it. So the shout out definitely from Tyler, myself, and the rugby bit side um, definitely goes to the women box. My other shout out is going to um, the bar and. Bath and Easy Target, Bath and Johan van Kran. Um, it mm. is Bath versus Gloucester this weekend. It's a massive, massive derby. It's the biggest club rugby derby um, in the world, if I'm not mistaken. 
but um, Bath are struggling. They're winless this season, and they're playing Gloucester, their old enemy, um, at home at the wreck. And uh, if ever they're going to turn their season around, Saturday is the time to do it. Um, but yeah, my other shout out does go out to Rob Dupree now to mention it. Um, he's playing great. <laughs> he's playing great rugby at ten. Like, let we can't fault that whether you like him or not. Um, I also I, I just thought about it the other day. It was well worth having having a mention just to ruffle a few feathers. But he's deserved the the, the mention. He really has. So we're interested to see what happens in, in on the ten front for the Springboks. But um, yeah, and uh, and the sale are in the mix. They're really fighting hard this season, so we'll see how they do. But yeah, Bath Gloucester this weekend. If you're going to watch any game, hopefully it'll be on Supersport. If not, stream it. And uh, it's a massive, massive derby. Loads of history. Yeah, a lot of rugby to watch this weekend. And I think that will conclude our Rugby Bits um, podcast for the week. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you, Dirt Trackers, for always being there for us. We will... Um, You'll see us on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, and everything else with our content. Um, please also visit the bet.co.za website for all their markets for, for all of the rugby competitions that are happening right now. And we'll see you in the next podcast. Mm-hmm.